Rock and Roll's Greatest Failure. Call Baby That's Really Me by John Otway. Read by John Otway. Call Baby That's Really Me. Chapter 3 It is now that we see a complete change in our hero. The change was inward and philosophical, but the externalisation of this change would be slow and dramatic, not reaching its climax for a further ten years. Being top of the class in maths was not just an indication plot way that he was not a complete idiot. He took it as an early indication of his genius. When starting school for that fourth year, he had figured out that up until this point in his life, He'd been misunderstood. He read the biographies of famous people like Galileo and Van Gogh and discovered that, in their lives too, there was ample evidence of misunderstanding and ridicule. Yes, he thought to himself, I am special. The hard time I've suffered is the necessary pain an artist must suffer to create works of artistic merit. And remembering the first time he had felt starstruck all those years ago in Queen's Park Playground, he felt certain that now he was ready to make the first steps towards fame and success. Since starting school at the age of five, John had never really known happiness. He was a loner and the centre of ridicule and abuse. Now he had worked out why this was, it no longer bothered him. In fact, he now felt it to be a positive influence and further proof of his talent he would never again feel sorry for himself, and his optimism and faith in himself would carry him over the many difficulties he would encounter. In short, he went from being an ugly duckling to a happier, ugly duck. The first big problem John had to contend with was getting a guitar. For most people, this would have not been a major hurdle, but in his case it was. Mrs Otway by now had some sort of inclination of what was going on in her son's mind. And the years since Pick of the Pops had not in any way diminished her hatred of pop music. And there was another problem. Willie Barrett. As we discovered earlier, Willie lived just up the road from the Otways. By now he had grown his blonde hair to his shoulders and had left school at the earliest opportunity. Well, he also had musical ambitions, but for far more realistic reasons than John. His father had started teaching him music at the age of four, and Willie was a naturally gifted player. Just having left school and not wanting to get a proper job, most of his days were spent wandering up and down Wendover Road with his guitar slung over his shoulder. If you get a guitar, you're going to grow up like Willie Barrett, his mother would frequently tell him. You're not getting one, and that's final. Final was not a word that John, with his newfound confidence, understood. He managed to buy an acoustic guitar for £2.50 and a fishing rod, took it home, on a pretext that he was looking after it for a friend, and with a certain deviousness, managed to keep the story going for six months. By this time it was too late. John had learnt the six chords he knows today, and was already trying to entertain people with them. I remember that guitar so well, says Otway. I was so frightened that my mother was going to take it away from me that I actually slept with it for the first few weeks. Back at school, the new Otway was up to his old tricks. 
of showing off, putting his notoriety down to the fact that he was enigmatic. He would do literally anything, as long as it had an audience. It was around this time that the aforementioned ink-drinking stunt took place, but there were many other incidents of a similar nature. Having learnt to fight out of necessity, and knowing that playground fights always attract crowds, Otway would pick fights with all the biggest bullies in the school. Not only that, he would spend a few days before that advertising the event. That Parker is getting too big for his boots, Otway would say. I think I should sort him out. But you'll get totally pummeled, they would sensibly reply. Just watch me, returned Otway. And they did just that. Watch Otway get totally pummeled. A few hundred yards from the school, there is an old footbridge crossing the canal, and Otway would take a bunch of kids down to watch his display of acrobatics. A description of these is best left to someone who remembers them well. Bloody hell! That guy used to almost kill himself. It wasn't like he knew what he was doing, because he was so awkward. But he'd be doing things like tightrope walking across the handrail, pretend to fall off and leave himself hanging by one foot upside down, 30 foot above a solid concrete pavement. Then he'd swing his whole body backwards and forwards and grab the railings, just as his foot came loose. <laughs> it was really damn scary. The girls used to scream and cry and say to us, get him to stop it. But we didn't, because it was fascinating. In the end, the girls stopped coming. I know it sounds stupid now, but we used to encourage him to do more and more dangerous things. Another incident was a circulation of a naked full frontal photograph of John around the whole school. It was one of the rare occasions that publicity shocked and embarrassed him. Whilst on a weekend course with a bunch of other kids from the school, John had managed to aggravate his mates to the extent that they felt he should be taught a lesson. One night, they waited until he had fallen asleep, ripped the bedclothes away and took the photograph in question. The photo eventually reached the eyes of his sister Margaret, ever protected of her brother, who was so incensed by this shot of her little Rupert in his birthday suit that she informed the powers that be in the school. The photo did an enormous amount of Otway's notoriety, as it had been so widely circulated. When you think that for some unfortunate young girls this was their first introduction to the male form, you can understand why the photographer Stephen Pomfrey was caned and the picture and negatives destroyed by the headmaster. It is a shame, though, that we can't print the photo here, as it graphically illustrated both why he got the nickname Tiny and why no member of the fairer sex was interested in him at the time. Around this time, Otway started to get a few friends. A couple of them were like Potter, who believed in John's genius and dreams of the future. The rest were people who discovered that when with Otway, excitement and fun were never far away. I bet there are some eggs in that crow's nest and those twigs at the top of that very tall tree, one would say, and off he would climb to investigate. I've just built this raft out of a couple of oil drums. I don't know if it will float with someone on it, another would mention. No, it doesn't, a drenched Otway would reply, wading back from the middle of a stagnant pond. This is the boy who was now learning what he could do with the six chords he had mastered on the guitar. Tuning the instrument was, and always would be, a problem for Otway. He got around this at first by taking his guitar to school every day and getting one of Just Us to tune it for him. 
Sometimes one of them would be kind enough to show him a song or two. As with the violin, he learnt rapidly at first, until, after a couple of months, he became as competent as he is today. Now he was a guitarist, John believed the time was ripe to form his first group. He approached the other musicians in the year. But John, Pete Asprey has already formed a group and they are doing their first show at a party next week, one of them told him. Otway was hurt, and although not particularly jealous by nature, at that party he was. There was Consortium, Pete Asprey's new band, doing exactly what John had been dreaming of doing all these years. And Pete, always a very popular boy with everyone, was the new school pop star. Oh, I tried to form a group, but all he could find were people like Potter, whose musical ability amounted to zero. He also tried to join Consortium, and successfully, apart from one incident. Always on the lookout for opportunities, John spotted in the local paper that a club was running auditions for a TV programme, Opportunity Knocks. The winner of this contest would be sponsored by the club as an entrance for the TV show. Otway entered his band and then set about persuading the members of Consortium to join him on this bid for television stardom. Surprisingly, they agreed. But when it came to the night, they all decided that, as he had more experience than John, Pete Asprey should do the singing and John should content himself with rhythm guitar. Things could be worse, thought Otway. At least I am in a band. Throughout that performance, he rocked and rolled and looked delighted at his first proper gig. Shortly afterwards, however, someone explained to him that the group had unplugged his guitar at the start of the song and were more than a little amused at his enthusiastic playing. The hurt of all this was compounded considerably when John, speaking to his mother about his wish to get a band, was told, John, why do you always want to do what the other kids are doing? Just because Pete Asprey's got a group and is doing well, you feel you have to copy. Why don't you think of something original to do? Margaret had just brought a copy of Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits into the Otway household, and John fell in love with the record instantly. He felt an affinity with the singer his mother called The Man with the Awful Voice. John, as we can recall from his days of the Alpha Male, had an interest in poetry, and his admiration for Dylan was to continue and be a great source of inspiration to him. Dylan taught Otway that he did not need a band to become a pop star. He could do it on his own. John immediately learnt all the Bob Dylan songs he could, and, with a couple of standards like Where Do You Go To My Lovely and House of the Rising Sun, he promoted his first solo appearance at the school one lunchtime. It was a bit boring, says Otway now, and the few kids who turned up left after a couple of songs. I hadn't really mastered the art of singing in tune then, which, coupled with the guitar tuning being a bit dodgy, probably didn't make it sound that good. In the middle of the fifth year at school, Dalesbury District Council decided that they would like to widen Wendover Road for a new gyratory system. Major road workings that would demolish the Otway home, so the family had to move. And for better, or for worse, they moved into a cul-de-sac called Ash Grove, three doors away from his friend Jeff Potter. This event strengthened the ties between the two, and Ash Grove, for a while, became the headquarters of the Otway career. 
It was a useful move in other ways too. Number six, Sashgrove actually backed on to the grain school and within a week, John had constructed a bridge over the fence into the school grounds. O-levels come at the end of the fifth year and it is with these exams that we see the last reasonable attempt by John to achieve any sort of academic success. He had managed up till now to remain top of the class in mathematics and encouraged by this was able to do fairly well in other subjects. When the results were published in the Bucks Herald, J. Otway had five O-levels, maths, statistics, physics, history and music. His parents were delighted. He had done as well as any of his sisters and it looked as though this son of theirs, who had always been such a problem, would eventually be able to hold down a job and become a useful member of society. But one performance that summer was to dash any such hopes that Mr and Mrs Otway might have of their son becoming a useful member of society. Like the scene in the film The Glenn Miller Story, where Glenn rushes around saying, The sound! The sound! I have found the sound! Like Archimedes running around the streets naked yelling, Eureka! Otway was to make his own discovery. His unique and special talent. <laughs> <laughs> 